Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at the crisis in Anglo-American relations following the resignation of Britain's ambassador to Washington, Sir Kim Darroch, who had been denounced by the American president, Donald Trump, as a pompous fool, amongst other things. Joining me on the line from Washington, D.C. is our U.S. national editor, Edward Luce, and here in the studio is Jeff Dyer, who was a Washington correspondent for many years. Ed, first of all, I was just reading an article which said this is a low point in U.S.-U.K. relations, one of the lowest, really, in the post-war period. We're in the midst of the events, but do you think that sounds like a fair verdict? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put it on the scale of Suez. 1956. And of course, once Boris Johnson becomes prime minister, assuming he does become prime minister, there will at least be a sort of temporary revival of warm words between Trump and Britain's prime minister, because uh, he's a backer of Johnson and has been openly scathing of Theresa May. But yes, it's unprecedented to have a president chase a British ambassador out of town like this. It's caused deep shock here. And I think the fact that the rest of Washington, other than the president and some of the henchmen around him, is as shocked you know, as everybody else, shows there is probably still quite a deep underlying strength of alliance there and warmth of feeling towards Britain. Yeah, I mean, so just give us a sense of that then. And to recap, for those who haven't followed the story, what happened was that Sir Kim's diplomatic cables, private diplomatic cables were leaked. They said some fairly unflattering things about the Trump administration, but then the president went ballistic. When you say there is um, shock in Washington, there is a sense, is there, that President Trump has overstepped the mark? Because, I mean, he oversteps the mark every day, doesn't he? He does. I think, you know, most people in Washington have been entertained at the British residence many times. They're aware because they see who else is there at the parties and receptions and so forth. But the Trump administration... Senior officials, including Jared and Ivanka, John Bolton, earlier in the administration, Steve Bannon, are there in force as well. And that the idea, therefore, that Kim Darrick is some kind of deep state anti-Trumpian who's not being a neutral diplomat is seen as complete nonsense and has been sort of multiply by most people in Washington. So I think there's a great deal of sympathy there. They know that Tim Derrick met Trump many times, and then when Trump tweets out that he's never met him, that that's false. And I think they feel, you know, it's a different scale when it's done to a close ally than when Trump is knifing a domestic player. There's, there's a sort of level of embarrassment that is, in a way, quite reassuring. Well, Jeff, but of course, it, it comes at a time of great uncertainty in British politics. And some might think that the coup de grace for Kim Darrick came when, in a leadership debate, Boris Johnson, who's likely to be the next prime minister, quite noticeably refused to back him. Exactly. I mean, I think rather than a crisis in Anglo-American relationship, what this demonstrates is just how diminished the politics in both of our countries are at the moment. I mean, the overwhelming impression of this incident is the crushing smallness of Donald Trump as a president. I mean, here's the man who's the most powerful politician in the world and charge of the most powerful military in the world. And he's unable to see his office except through the prism of personal slights and through his bruised ego. 
the revelations in these leaked cables was Kim Dara talking about the insecurity of the Trump administration. There is no greater demonstration that insecurity than the way the president behaved this week. But also British politics comes out of this whole episode looking incredibly small and diminished. And Boris Johnson's behaviour at the debate was the biggest example of that, where by not defending the British ambassador, who did nothing other than what his job is supposed to do, he has let himself and let the country be pushed around, be bullied and have its foreign policy shaped by another country. It's a striking example of just how Boris Johnson and Brexiteers think that this is about standing up for Britain, taking back control, how the force of events is actually giving us ever less control over what it is we're trying to do. And in a sense, this is not an isolated incident. It's particularly shocking because it's the United States. But in the past year and a bit, you've had the Russians murdering people on the streets of Britain. You've had the Chinese telling the British to get back in their box over Hong Kong and over Huawei. You have very poor relations with the EU because of Brexit. It does feel as if somehow the rest of the world is sensing that now's a time you can push Britain around. That is the impression. That really sets up a very bad situation for post-Brexit. You know, the new government, Boris Johnson, if he does manage to leave the EU on October 31st, his first thing he wants to do is to revive the Anglo-American relationship, revive the special relationship, as they call it, and push for a very strong free trade deal between the UK and the US. But the dynamic we've seen here is that actually the US is quite happy, President Trump is quite happy to slap Britain around. He has no particular attachment to any of these old relationships, these old alliances. And Britain enters into these negotiations in a very, very weak position where it's desperate to have a free trade deal with America. And we have a, a very protectionist America first president who's very keen to try and drive the hardest possible bargain that he can and to squeeze Britain. And Ed, is that exactly what you expect will occur if and when these much vaunted trade talks start? I mean, I gather Liam Fox, the British Trade Secretary, was actually in Washington this week. Yes, and Kim, you know, decided not to accompany. He'd already been um, disinvited to a state dinner for the Emir of Qatar and didn't accompany Liam Fox to see Ivanka Trump, the president's daughter. There's no serious economist or even unserious one that I know who thinks that a trade deal between the UK and the US is a practical prospect in the next couple of years. The demands that the Trump administration would have, and these have been fairly well fleshed out already, would just be politically unpalatable for any British prime minister, whoever that may be. It would be unsellable to the British and that is even presupposing it could get through Congress. If there's a hard no-deal Brexit on October the 31st, then the Democratic House of Representatives would block any trade deal that resulted from it on the grounds that it would have wrecked the Irish Good Friday Agreement. And you've got a lot of prominent Irish Americans in Congress, including Richie Neal, chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, which is the key one for trade deals, who said if Good Friday goes up, there will be no trade deals. So the prospects, both politically and economically, for a US-UK trade deal are very, very slim. And just reverting briefly to this question of the behaviour of ambassadors, it's quite striking, isn't it, that actually a lot of Mr. Trump's ambassadors have been much more openly in violation of normal diplomatic norms than Sir Kim Darrick ever was. I mean, the ambassador in Germany has more or less openly courted far-right forces in Europe. Yeah, I mean, that's the great irony of this. Woody Johnson in, in London, Rick Grinnell in Berlin, Gordon Sondland in Brussels, these people have been agitating against their host governments, with the one great exception of David Kornstein in Hungary, who is blatantly and overtly pro-Orban. Kim Derrick didn't actually breach any rules. These the rules that were breached was to leak his confidential classified cables to the Daily Mail what he said in those cables was pretty mild in comparison to what American ambassadors 
said in cables all over the world about their host government when the WikiLeaks dump, the Chelsea Manning dump, um, occurred several years ago. So Kim Derrick actually hasn't broken any rules or even said anything particularly strong in confidence. As you say, there's a great irony. And Jeff, I mean, presumably we can take on trust the idea that it's going to be slow going on a US-UK trade deal. But Boris Johnson will, I think, seek to align himself much more closely with the Trump administration. What areas might he do that in? China is an obvious one. The Trump administration is trying to push a much more aggressive posture against China, particularly on technology. So that's one particular area. But I mean, ultimately, if Boris Johnson does become prime minister, it will all come down to the first few months and whether he can get some sort of Brexit deal. Everything is going to be focused around these first few weeks, first few months and the Brexit negotiations. I think a lot of stuff will be secondary. And so the question is, can he somehow go to Brussels and come back with some sort of compromise, not in the withdrawal agreement, but maybe in the political declaration that it has attached to the withdrawal agreement that he can sell as a compromise from Brussels and push a deal through Parliament? So while he will make some gestures in certain areas, I think, towards the US, really everything will be dominated around the, the Brexit deal and how he tries to push that through Parliament. And Ed, I mean, just perhaps to begin to wind up, it's striking, isn't it, however, that the Trump administration in some senses, has made itself a player in the Brexit talks. Trump's stream of abusive tweets included criticism of Theresa May for not delivering Brexit, ignoring Trump's advice on how to handle the negotiations. And one gets the sense that the Trump administration would actually quite relish a kind of violent rupture between the UK and the EU. I think that's absolutely right. It's not just Trump who sees EU as a geopolitical rival, as he said before, is John Bolton. John Bolton sees Germany as the EU, and he's been very openly scathing about Germany. So it's across the Trump administration. Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, gave a really sort of markedly anti-EU speech in Brussels late last year. There is an undisguised desire to see the EU break up and fail for many reasons. Bolton has his own reason to do with weak internationalist organizations that don't spend much on defense. Trump thinks it's a sort of cartel to rip off America in terms of trade. And there are, of course, all kinds of people around him who are strong ideological supporters of the likes of Viktor Orban, Matteo Salvini and Nigel Farage. So I think this is overdetermined. The Trump administration hates the EU. And last point then, you mentioned Nigel Farage. I'd like to ask both of you, I mean, we're speculating, but it will now, I suppose, matter a great deal who Britain appoints as the next ambassador to Washington. Will it be a standard issue diplomat or will Boris Johnson insist on putting in a political appointee who can suck up to the Trump administration more effectively, somebody like Nigel Farage? Do you think it's possible that a figure like Farage might go for it, Jeff? I mean, publicly, the Boris Johnson campaign have ruled out someone like Farage, but you can imagine them having conversations amongst themselves whereby the Conservative Party actually faces a very, very strong threat from the Brexit party, Farage's party, which is essentially a one-man band. I mean, it all revolves around the personality and character of Nigel Farage. So you can imagine some of his advisors maybe tossing around the idea of, well, if we send him to Washington, that actually just spikes the Brexit party, that really leaves the way open for a Boris Johnson government to dominate the right of British politics. But having said that, if he were to actually do something like that, he would really cause so much ill will amongst the civil service, amongst the bureaucracy, amongst other people in the Conservative Party. He'd be seen to be selling out in such a profound way to a more far-right position that I don't think even he would go that far. Ed, what's your view on that? I think that's probably right. Farage, of course, for the same reason Boris would be smart to send Farage here, at least smart from 
from a domestic political, getting rid of a rival point of view, Farage would be dumb to accept it. But Farage loves being in this town. He loves frequenting the Trump International. He loves his selfies with Trump. And, you know, nowadays, truth is stranger than fiction. Anything can happen. OK, well, with that cheerful thought, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you very much indeed to Ed Luce in Washington and to Jeff Dyer here in the studio in London. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.